Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks again for coming out to RUF on this chilly Wednesday night. Uh, know that you guys, it's a busy time of year and a lot of things you could be doing and yet you're here. And I just want to say I appreciate it. I'm really glad you're here. And I hope the RUF is a place uh, for you that uh, you can grow, you can feel rest, you can uh, explore faith, you can be known. Uh, you can be welcomed. And so that's kind of our hope is that uh, this would be uh, not just uh, a gathering once a week, but that it would uh, be more of a community that uh, goes throughout the week and into life. And uh, so any, and what we believe is necessary for community and to love is to uh, rely on God's word. And so we look every week at God's word, a different passage of scripture, and we're doing something uh, fun this semester where we're going through the books of the Bible and I'm just picking like a key text from each book and we're just going to see how far we can make it in the semester. And so we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and tonight uh, we come to Numbers. And so uh, Genesis, you know, what we saw in Genesis is that God creates a good world and the world is good. And that's why we enjoy the world because God made it and it's good. And yet we saw how sin entered in and tainted everything. And so everything is tainted by evil. And uh, yet God commits right from the beginning to saving this world that he created and to making it right again. And he does that uh, through a family. So his plan is he's going to extend his kingdom on this earth uh, through a family. And that family uh, starts with Abraham and it becomes Israel, the people of Israel. And we saw in Exodus how they get enslaved in Egypt and God miraculously saves them, brings them out. And we saw in Leviticus about how uh, God provides for how life can be lived with him in their presence. Uh, a holy God and the life can be lived uh, with him. And Numbers, the book we're going to look at tonight, is uh, about what happens after Egypt, you know, we get rescued from slavery. Now what? And uh, what happens is 40 years of wandering in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, the land that God had originally picked out for his people to dwell in. So it's a long journey to the promised land. It has lots of difficulty. Uh, there's lots of grumbling among God's people along the way, complaining and lots of God providing for his people. And we're going to look at a really, I think, unique and cool text from Numbers tonight. A short one uh, that I hope you uh, find, you know, it's just interesting and uh, it's actually quite powerful. And so uh, let me read it for us. It's from Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. Uh, so from Mount Hor, they set out, by the way, to the Red Sea. To go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Remember, they're on their way to the promised land. They're taking the long route. 
And it says they, get, they become impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. All right, kind of a weird, strange text. So let's pray uh, as we approach it. Uh, Father, as we approach this text now, it sounds very foreign to our ears, and uh, we need you to make sense of it to us, and we need you to apply it to our hearts, and so we pray that you send your spirit to do just that, and guide us, and show us more of yourself through it, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. A uh, big question I get a lot and I spend a lot of time thinking about is how do I grow in faith? You know, a lot of people want to know, like, how do I make progress in my life of faith, my walk with Jesus? And how do I stop falling into the same patterns, the same sinful patterns? Because uh, I feel like I'm not growing. I feel like I'm stagnant. I feel like I've hit a plateau. And, uh, you know, the book of Numbers is essentially about like Israel, God's people together collectively growing as a people. You know, they've just become a nation, really. Like they just they just became independent as a group of people, and it's about them becoming who they're meant to be. And so it translates. You know, it's, it's them corporately going through something that translates directly to us. And, you know, it's a big, long test. You know, there's this wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, and it's this big, long test. And the reason there's this big, long test is because testing is how you grow. You know, think of school. Like, the way you are forced to learn is you get tested. And if you fail a test in the beginning of the semester, like, you work extra hard, right, to try to not fail the second one uh, so that you can pass the class. I was reading about uh, what Navy SEALs do this week, uh, and uh, Navy SEALs are incredible because uh, when you to even be picked to go to Navy SEAL training, you have to be like elite. And, and then at the beginning of training, not at the end, the beginning is hell week. Uh, these are these guys are the most qualified soldiers there are. And like half of them don't make it through hell week. In fact, recently hell week killed a guy. And I was looking on the Navy SEAL website and it was talking about the training, like <laughs> to recruit people. And I don't know if this is going to make anybody want to do this, but this is what it says about what it's like to be trained as a Navy SEAL. So listen to this. It says, trainees are constantly in motion, running, swimming, paddling, carrying boats on their heads, doing log PT, whatever that is, uh, sit-ups, push-ups, rolling in the sand, slogging through mud, paddling boats and doing surf passage, being still can be just as challenging when you're standing interminably in formation, soaking wet on the beach or up to your waist in the water with the cold ocean wind cutting through you. Mud covers uniforms, hands, faces, everything but the eyes. 
The sand chafes raw skin and the salt water makes cuts burn. Students perform evolutions that require them to think, lead, make sound decisions, and functionally operate when they are extremely sleep deprived, approaching hypothermia, and even hallucinating. Listen, this is the best part. While trainees get plenty to eat, some are so fatigued that they fall asleep in their food. Others fall asleep while paddling boats and have to be pulled out of the water by teammates. So uh, why do they do that? Why do Navy SEALs go through Hell Week? So they're ready, right? Because you can't hunt and kill Osama bin Laden if you can't make it through Hell Week. Okay, Israel's journey to the Promised Land served a similar function. Remember, God, sent, God has sent them on a mission. He said, I'm going to pick a people... I'm going to use them to extend my kingdom to the world. Um, so they got to be ready. And their collective journey through the wilderness is helpful for us as we walk through life, which can often feel like a wilderness. And so this short story uh, gives us a glimpse of how we can emerge with maturity and strength. And it's when we know four things. So I'm going to look at four things in this text. Uh, we need to know the sin- sinfulness of sin, the grace of affliction, the true source of our struggles, and the ultimate cure. So first of all, I want to look at the sinfulness of sin. Uh, In verse 4, it talks about the people getting impatient on the way. Uh, It says, literally in the Hebrew, it says, the soul of the people became short. Uh, These are people that are frustrated. Uh, It's hard. They're on a hard, long journey. And they say, have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness? which they've said before. If you were here when we looked at the passage where God parted the Red Sea, remember right before that, they were like, did you bring us out here to die? And they say it again in numbers, and they say it multiple times. Um, you know, and the journey's hard. And they complain specifically about the food that God's given them. And in response, it says that God sends fiery serpents. Uh, they're in a part of the world, they're not actually fiery, like fiery on fire Uh, but they're in a part of the world where we now know like we know that there are snakes called adders that live in this part of the world and when they bite you they like kind of set you on fire like there's a burning wound uh, where you're bitten and then you get a raging fever and then you get thirsty and you can't quench your thirst and then a lot of times you die as many did here in this story and if you're like me you might look at this at first and be like isn't that a little harsh though god Uh, But I want you to think about what they're doing. Um, Think about what God has, where God has taken them so far. Uh, God has gone with them the whole way. Literally, like, his presence is in a cloud with them as they go. Uh, Along the way, God has provided water miraculously for them from a rock. And on top of that, he has literally rained food for them in the wilderness, in the desert, where there was no food, it's called manna, and every day he has rained it down, and it's this amazing food that it's like this kind of uh, resiny food that you could make bread out of, and it was a really amazing thing that he provided, and uh, when they first tasted it, they were amazed by it, Uh, but now they loathe it, it says. Um, And what I want you to see is this isn't that much different from the Garden of Eden story, right? 
beautiful garden. We, we read that story. And everything is perfect. And it, but you can't eat from the one tree. And at first it's great. And then it's like, you know, well, maybe God is holding out on us. You know, maybe this isn't good at all, actually. This good, supposedly good place that he's put us. You know, if he won't let us eat of the fruit. Um, and so what we saw in that story is that's where the real snake bite happened. You know, uh, this discontentment. You know, it starts small and then it gets big. Uh, and, and, and it's consuming. Uh, you know, think about all the things we were grateful for at first in life and then we were like I don't like this anymore you know how quickly we can turn to discontent it's this unquenchable thirst where we get something and it's great at first and then it's like eh I don't care about that anymore I want more I want better Uh, which is why social media can be very dangerous for us right because we get to see what everyone else has and all of a sudden it's like man my life kind of sucks compared to what I mean why does everyone have this or why is everyone having a better Time than me, or maybe you know, maybe I suck. Like, it makes us hate ourselves. Because what's wrong with me? Why am I not like them? You know, maybe you're like me, and you say things to yourself that you'd never say out loud to anyone else. It's too mean. But you'd say it to yourself. Um, I think about myself, and you know, I have an amazing life. God has given me so much. Like, there's so much that I have that's wonderful. And yet, I often wonder, like, you know, will God be good to me, though, tomorrow? Ten years from now, will he still be good? Uh, Think about all the celebrities we know whose lives are disasters. Uh, All the celebrities that are rich and famous and they want to kill themselves. Uh, Why is that? Because it's not... And we all have this disease where nothing is enough. Uh, and this discontentment is what undergirds sin and ruins everything. So that's, that's the real point. You know, the snake poison is pointing to the real poison, which is dissatisfaction with everything. Nothing being enough. This thirst, this desire uh, that's unquenched. And that's the sinfulness of sin. That's why it's such a big deal. Uh, it's really it's, it's disgusting, actually, the way these people treat the God who's literally done everything for them. And Israel at this point wasn't seeing it until God showed them. So that's the sinfulness of sin. But I want to look now at the grace of affliction in this passage because uh, the people don't see their condition until they're afflicted. Corporately, they endure this great affliction. They weren't seeing that there was something wrong with their hearts until it happened. And in the Bible, this is how it always works. You know, there's Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And uh, there's a section in the middle where it talks about affliction. And it says things like, talking to God, it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Uh, it says, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Uh, so affliction can be good. We can learn. Like a lot of times crises are what awaken us to our need, to God's power, uh, to the ways he can help us. And the way I think about it, you know, the way God can work in a crisis and an affliction is thinking about my own kids. I have two young kids, four and seven, about to be five and seven. And, uh, you know, we're trying to teach them how to act in the world. And sometimes they do things that they're not supposed to do. And so my wife and I were in charge of like, well, how do we show them you know, that when you throw your toy, 
Like, if you throw your toy when you're mad, no one's going to want to hang out with you, right? That's just a rule of life. Like, everyone's got to learn that at some point. So how do you teach it? Well, in our house, the toy goes away if you throw it for a long time. And let me tell you, it sucks. Like, I hate it. Like, when, because it's a cool toy. I want my kids to have the toy because it's good. And they cry and they cry. But what's not good is going through life not knowing that you can't just, like, throw stuff when you're mad, right? Um, You know, they miss out on good things, but that's the point. Like, you're going to miss out on a lot of good things if you don't learn this. And God has to do that with the whole nation. So it's not just, like, one individual, but corporately as a nation, he has to do it. Because remember the mission that they're on. God's using them to save the world. He's, using, he's going to put them in the promised land and he's going to eventually, that's going to lead to Jesus saving the world. And so uh, they need to learn. And, you know, maybe, you know, as you think about affliction, maybe you're sitting here thinking like, well, I kind of feel afflicted. Like my life is kind of pretty hard right now. I feel like God might be afflicting me. And, you know, I don't know whether that's true or not. Like it's hard to say whether the trials we go through are like God directly afflicting us or you know we don't we can't know for sure but we should always be asking the question as we face trials like what might god have for me here what might he have me learn through this trial so uh the affliction is about kindness the affliction is about god's grace Um, and it helps them see the true source of their struggles. So I want to look at the true source of our struggles in this passage. And in verse 7, they confess. And it's really simple. They just say, we have sinned. It's kind of amazing. They just say, like, we have sinned. Uh, a few years ago, the Me Too movement started. You remember this? Like five, five or so years ago, there started to be all these kind of big name celebrities and Uh, different people would come forward and say like they had been sexually assaulted by this person and and then there were a lot of like confessions and a lot of reckonings with like who did what and who's going to admit to what and uh, and so the Me Too movement started and one of the offenders who uh, was accused was this comedian named Louis C.K. actor, comedian Uh, he was kind of a rising star at the time and uh, several women accused him of doing awful things. And I was really struck by his response. And this was, I, I believe, he just put this out publicly, and this is how he started. It was longer than this, but this is how he started it. He said, I want to address the stories told to the New York Times by five women named Abby, Rebecca, Dana, Julia, who felt able to name themselves, and one who did not. These stories are true. And, you know, he went on to explain some things. But I was amazed at how bluntly he was just like, yep. Where everyone else was being like, well, you know, this, this, that, you know, like making excuses. And he was just like, no, it's true. You know, in this passage, Israel does that. They stop shifting the blame and they just say, we have sinned. That's it. And I want you to see, you'll never be spiritually mature if you can't admit that you're the problem. You know, like relationships won't work for you unless you can admit that you're the problem. Like I'm married and married, you know, when you're married to someone, they see everything bad about you. 
and there's no hiding. And marriage doesn't work unless you can just say, like, sorry I did that, I have a problem. And not like, oh, I did that because so-and-so, you did this, and all that. Like, and the best marriages are when two people can come together and both say that. I'm the problem. I'm sorry, I have a problem. Uh, you know, all relationships are like this. Like, they're good when we can just say the truth about ourselves freely. This is why Alcoholics Anonymous starts every meeting with, hey, I'm Lucas and I'm an alcoholic, right? It's the same principle. Can you just state truthfully what you're like? What's really going on in here? And here Israel collectively admits they're the problem. They're the ones who have let dissatisfaction take over and it's totally distorted their vision. So I ask you, can you do that? Have you ever done that? Just admit plainly to someone or to God that you're the problem without making excuses, without blame shifting. Uh, we need to do it more. It's life-giving because it takes us to the ultimate cure that we're going to see in this passage. You know, if I'm the problem, then I need help. And thankfully, there is help for us. And so I'm going to look now in kind of closing at the ultimate cure for our hearts. And we see it in verse 9 where uh, God provides the, this bronze serpent. He says, put a bronze, you know, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And if you look at it, you will live. Isn't that weird? Like, this is so weird. Like, and what I want to tell you is they would think it's weird too. Like, they didn't get it either. It's just like a strange thing. Like, why would that work? Why, is, why would we put the thing that's biting us on a pole and look at that? to be healed but it points us to the true cure Uh, over a thousand years later Jesus would be in a conversation with a Jewish leader and he would say the most famous Bible verse of all time he would say for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life John 3.16 but right before that do you know what Jesus says? he says And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about himself. So must I be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's saying, you know that story about the snake in the wilderness where people just had to look at it and they were healed from this, like, you know, what was a snake bite, what was really pointing to a deeper sin disease of the heart. Uh, That was actually about me and what I'm about to do how I'm about to be lifted up on a pole for the people. But still, it's kind of weird. Like, why a snake? Like, what did Jesus have in common with a bronze snake? Like, with a symbol of God's judgment? Why would, what's the connection there? And what I want you to see is that's exactly what Jesus came to be. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus became sin for us. Like he didn't, he wasn't a sinner, but on the cross, what happens is he becomes sin. He becomes like everything that's wrong so that we can be made right. He becomes a curse for us so that we would not be cursed. And even as he dies on the cross, he says, I thirst. It's this way of saying he took the poison. Uh, if a lot of you have read the Jesus Storybook Bible with us, this kid's Bible that we, uh, last uh, semester, we were looking at some of the stories in it because it's so well written. And uh, Listen to what it says on the night before Jesus is crucified. Uh, Jesus is praying to God in the Jesus Storybook Bible, kid's version of it. And it says, 
that he's praying to God. He says, Papa, Father, Jesus cried as he fell to the ground. Is there any other way to get your children back, to heal their hearts, to get rid of the poison? But Jesus knew there was no other way. All the poison of sin was going to have to go into his own heart. That's what happens at the cross. Jesus takes the poison so that we can be healed. And to be healed, all you have to do is look. All you have to do is look. To, like it doesn't, he doesn't want you to do anything to be safe. He just wants you to see him. A lot of times I have conversations with people on campus and elsewhere, and I like to ask, like, well, what, do you, what is a Christian? Like, what do you think a Christian is? And almost without fail, people will answer me by saying, a Christian is someone who, and they'll tell me something that Christian loves people and loves God, or who lives for God. And what I try to show them is, you didn't tell me what a Christian is, you told me what a Christian does. But what is a Christian? Okay, Christians are people for whom Jesus took the poison. So if you want to say, I'm a Christian, you're saying, there's someone who took the poison, so I wouldn't have to. That's what makes me Christian. Someone did something, Jesus did something, and it has changed my standing. You know, they, these Christians are people who've been made to see that Jesus is everything. He made, Jesus made us alive. That's it. Looking at Jesus will save you. And it will change you. You know, talk about the readiness. Talk about the maturity. Discontentment will fade away because what more do you need than the creator of the universe drinking the poison for you so you can live? Uh, you'll be able to love people that are hard to love because you'll know how hard you are to love. And yet there was one who said, I would be glad to love Lucas. Now, what if you fail? What if you've been running away from God for a while? Look at Jesus. Look at him suffering on the cross. It doesn't run out. Israel failed lots of times. And they keep getting the opposite of what they deserve. Uh, because that's just what God's like. Uh, God will not give up on you. I don't know how bad you think you are, but God will not give up on you. He will not turn his face from you. And if that's the story you're living in, if that's the journey you go on, you'll become a Navy SEAL. Like, you will become something truly great walking by faith with the Lord. Uh, it's a painful journey. There's failure along the way that you have to learn from. There's pain along the way. Uh, but on the other side is glory. It's the promised land. It's life as it's supposed to be lived. Uh, so I, I want to invite you to go on the journey. Look to Jesus. Uh, let's go on the journey together. Uh, let me pray for us as we close. Uh, Father, we uh, desperately need to know more of our own sin and more of your love and grace for us. And we pray that, I pray that we would know those things at our core and we'd be changed by this good news that uh, Jesus has taken the poison on our behalf. Would you change our hearts, uh, even tonight, uh, to trust you, uh, to be set free, uh, to live life uh, content in you, and content in all that you have for us. Uh, help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.